Amy Ingerbretson here, professional skier, dog mom, cat lover, amateur podcaster, and your host for Warren Miller Entertainment's Long Underwear. We're going to get to know the skiers and riders in this year's film, Face of Winter, presented by Volkswagen. Nothing is off limits except for one rule. After introductions, there are no more mentions of skiing or snowboarding allowed. We are going to go beyond the curated Instagram pages and dig deeper than just the stories of getting sponsored. It's time to strip off the layers and get to know the person underneath the gear. Welcome to Long Underwear. Hey everybody, I'm Amy Gerbretson and welcome to Long Underwear. I'm very excited because today on the podcast we have uh, Olympic gold medalist Jesse Diggins. Jesse, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is cool. So you're the first Nordic skier on the podcast. <laughs> and so um, I think that our audience is pretty familiar with big mountain free ride skiing, but not really with what the world of being a Nordic skier is. So give me like the quick overview. Yeah. So I would say cross country skiing is sort of, it was invented by Vikings way back in the day. That's so it awesome. was sort of a mode of transportation. Mm-hmm. So you're just going literally um, across the country, which is where we got the name. Um, but you're you're on much skinnier, lighter skis, so the equipment is pretty light. It's easy to get uphill. Um, you have two techniques. You have classic, which is sort of what people picture. You're striding um, in movements that kind of look like you're running. And, and you're in the track. It's a grooved, track. groomed track. Exactly. Yeah. You're in the tracks. I mean, you can do it outside of the track. Sure. You plow your own trail, kind of like you're skinning. Yeah. Up a mountain. So it's sure. very similar movements. Um, but then skating is sort of the movements you make if you're ice skating or hockey um, or skating. Or rollerblading. Or rollerblading. <laughs> exactly. Or rollerblading. And so, and you have these skinny poles. And I think what people don't always realize is our sport, we go uphill, but we also do go downhill. And it's scary because you don't have metal edges. Oh, it's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So like this um, year, I clocked 76 kilometers an hour um, going downhill in the tracks. Yeah. And it was icy tracks and I had clister on the bottom of my skis. So it's like really, really fast. It was terrifying. (laughs) But it was super fun. Oh my gosh. And that was one of our World Cup courses. And I was racing the text down the course. We were like, we all had our GPS on our watches trying to see how fast we could go. And uh, it was it was really fun. So I think people don't always um, get to see the exciting side of cross country um, because it can be very relaxing, very, you Mm -hmm. know, you're out on the trails. A lot of people do it for like a pastime recreational thing. Or like an awesome workout. Yeah. I think it's like one of the best workouts. (laughs) It's really hard. I I, I don't do it, but I wish I made time for it. Yeah, it's it's fun, but it's also it can it's as much as you put into it, right? Sure. So it can be really fun and relaxing. It can be a tough workout, or it can be a really dynamic, exciting head-to-head race. So it's kind of cool because at its entry level, everyone can do it. It's not very dangerous. It's not very hard to learn. If you take mm-hmm. an hour lesson, you can be skiing. Yeah, which is very cool because I, I love getting to see people after they've taken their first lesson being like, oh, I learned it. Like I learned a new sport. (laughs) And that's so cool. Like how many chances do you have in life to just pick up a new sport? Totally. So I always think that's really fun. Totally. So, okay. This is a dumb question. Like do you do classic and skate skiing and a lot of your, do you, are a lot of the events that you compete in combined Um, or are they all skate? Are they like when you're, when uh, your gold medal is in a sprint, like mm -hmm. is that skating? 
Is that yeah, classic? So is it some of both? We have all sorts of different events. So the distances range from sprint, which is 1.2 kilometers, mm-hmm. and it takes, or, you know, it's a, it's a range, so at 1.2 to 1.6. So it takes two and a half to three and a half minutes, and that's the shortest we'll do. Mm-hmm. And when, when we won the gold medal, that was in a team sprint. So you had yeah. two athletes, and you go and you tag the other in. athlete, yeah. and you go around until you've made a total of six laps or three per person. Okay. We race a lot of 10-kilometer races, mm-hmm. which take around 28 minutes. Wow. We do some 15 kilometers, and we do have a skiathlon where you start out classic skiing, and halfway through, you come into the pits, and you change your equipment in the middle of the race, and you finish the second half of the race skating, so that's always exciting, and that's the only format where we actually use both techniques in one race, Um, and then we do up to 30 kilometers for the women, which takes, ah, like maybe an hour and a half, Um, so depending on the speed of the snow in the course, so they're always different. Um, which is exciting because every course is different. And so within those distances, you have classic and skate. And so we'll have both. Like and one weekend. You do be, all of it. I do all of it. That's and some crazy. people specialize. Yeah. Um, because there's so many different things. When you mm-hmm. look at the range, you're like, whoa, you know, you can do a 10K classic or a 10K sprint or a classic sprint or a skate sprint. Or you could be really good at 30K classic races. But I try to do it all. Um because I just like the chance to race all the time. So yeah. at the last Olympics, we had, we have six events, and I raced in all of them, wow. which was grueling but very very fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you it, you were part of the team that won the first Olympic gold medal for any American cross country skier. Yeah, men or women. Men or women, which is insane. And I know that you have been interviewed a ton about the Olympics. I'm sure, but. There's something I've done on the podcast, everyone, and I want to do it earlier in the podcast. We might bring it back later. And I want to know two highs and one low from winning an Olympic gold medal. Ooh, that's like that's a question no one's ever asked before. Cool. Uh, well, that's cool. Um, <laughs> Just because, like, we could talk about it forever, but I want to yeah. kind of hone in two highs, yeah. one low. Um, I think the biggest high was the chance to grow the sport. Mm -hmm. to show so many more people what it is that we do, to get people excited about it, um, to grow the chances for the next generation of skiers, to have more opportunities in the sport. Um, Especially in the U.S. Especially in the U.S. because it's huge. In Norway, it's like their number one sport. Um, It's like, yeah, it's like football. It's like football, exactly. It is. (laughs) And like their world champs is their Super Bowl. And so it's hard for people to conceptualize that because in the U.S., I mean, we're we're a really diverse country. Like half of the country doesn't get snow, so right. of course they don't know what it is. Why would they? Yeah. Um, but I think it's been so cool seeing it grow and seeing so many more kids being like, "Oh, I want to do this! It's so fun! I love being with my friends." Well, there's a lot of places where it snows and there's not huge mountains. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like where I grew up in Minnesota, like cross country yeah. skiing is a huge thing. It's a very cultural thing. There's a lot of Scandinavian heritage, so it's very. Um, yeah, there's thousands of cross country skiers in high school, which yeah. is very cool. Yeah. Um, so that was, I think the biggest high. Um, I would say the second biggest high is that we were able to get a world cup in Minnesota for March of 2020. Oh, wow. And this is the first time in 19 years that we've been able to race in our own country, which if you can imagine, like I'm a professional cross country skier. I spend my life you doing never this. never raced in your own country? Never once gotten to race in my own country at that level. That's crazy. Yeah. And so I spent right after the Olympics, we took that momentum and I spent a lot of time working with the organizing committee and they put in the bid 
And so in March of 2020, we're going to have like a night sprint in Minneapolis. Oh and my, so in Minneapolis. In Minneapolis. That's going to be so cool. I'm so excited. So that was a huge high. Like, and that I think was a pretty direct result of the Olympics because yeah. we were able to get that momentum because you need sponsors. You need help mm-hmm. getting that sort of thing off the ground. 100%. And the the Olympics and the, the great coverage we had and our awesome announcer that made our race so exciting, it just kind of lifted that that project off the ground. So that was very cool. Wow. And the only low I would say is that I've had to really reevaluate how I balance my life. I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah, and I and it's it's a very it's a very first world problem, right? It's a very sure. stupid thing to say is a low, but in some ways if you had to pick a low, I would say, yeah, I felt um, like we didn't really have a model for how this was going to go because mm-hmm. it had never happened before. And so we, we didn't know what to expect. And because it was the first medal, there was so much more interest and excitement and hype because yes. it was the first. Um, so it was very hard to balance the requests. I've had yeah. hundreds of asks for my time and to help with projects. And I'm someone who really struggles with saying no. And you have to learn how. You do because I suddenly realized this spring, I was like, oh my gosh, I have four weeks off for the entire year. That's all I get. And I didn't take one vacation for myself. And I kind of was like, oh, darn it. You know, I need to learn how to balance this better. Like in the short term, it's awesome. It's exciting. But in the long term, it's not sustainable. So I had to realize like, okay, at some point here, I need to start protecting my time and my time with my boyfriend and my family and my friends. Because, you know, as exciting as this is, it's still important that I have me time because otherwise I'm, I'm going to start to not love what I'm doing as much. Which is uh, an absolute no-go. And I can imagine yeah. how hard that is. I totally um, kind but of factoring again, in on that. St- it's a stupid low. <laughs> Do you have any like um, memories of reporters or anyone asking you like a really silly question? Because I feel like a lot of times when mainstream media gets involved in like any sport, but especially niche sports like cross-country skiing or downhill skiing, whatever it might be, I feel like there's just a funniest things they say yes and a lot of it comes out of sort of ignorance or they're trying to build sure. a story and they don't really know enough about our sports is so there any it, like really funny oh i get a lot remember? of like um so what is it like when you're standing at the top of the mountain looking down and eventually i just have to go <laughs> it, it's terrifying you know? <laughs> it's yeah yeah it's it's scary because i'm like what am i gonna say like first we ski up the mountain like I, like it's just hard to explain your sport totally. when, no, when they don't understand it. So sometimes you just have fun and you play along and you're like, yeah, and I click into my bindings and I got these big powder skis on. <laughs> and they're just like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you just have to take them for a ride. <laughs> oh, man, that's good. That's a good way to handle it. Um, so there was a cross-country skiing segment filmed on New Zealand this summer in the Warren Miller movie this year. And it, I don't think it's the first time that cross-country skiing has been in a Warren Miller movie, but it's the first time in recent history. Yeah. And it was obviously your first time in a ski film, I have to imagine. Mm -hmm. What was that like when they were like, hey, we're going to film a Warren Miller segment? And did you, do you know what Warren Miller is? Like, had you ever seen one before? You know, I, to be totally honest, I'd never seen one before. Wow. A lot of my teammates had grown up watching them, but I, my family was always about cross-country skiing. Yeah. I've been alpine skiing 10 times in my life. Oh my goodness. And so I, I knew what Warren Miller was, yeah. um, but I, I'd never seen one and I just, I'd never, I've never gone heli skiing. I've never, I'd love to try it, but it was one of those things where I was like, I just, I don't really know 
um, that sort of side of the culture as much. Yeah. So I was like, this is going to be really cool. It's going to be a chance to sort of bring the, like, the far ends of the sport together and see what happens. And, um, and I was just, I'm someone who's so proud of my team. You know, we have this incredible group and everyone works so hard. And the only way we get medals in the sport is because of the entire team. It's not because of two people. It's yeah. not because of one person having a great race. It's because of the team. And so having the chance to showcase how we train as a group and having the chance to show people like this is how we succeed. We work incredibly hard, but we push one another. Um, that was that was really cool for me. I was really excited to kind of kind of show that side of it and show like that team chemistry that I think is sort of our it's not a secret but it you know it is sort of our like recipe for success yeah well I thought that the segment came together so well and like you were saying a couple minutes ago about how cross-country skiing can be really exciting like this segment's really exciting and I was telling you before we started recording your guys' segment gets like the biggest crowd response of any of them which is really cool. And so I was there the other night in Salt Lake City when you came and saw it with the team. And you've probably seen yourself on TV tons of times by now. But was it cool seeing yourself on the big screen, like in a movie theater? I don't know. Warren Miller is such a huge, important thing to some of the skiers, the big mountain skiers and racers that have grown up with it. But. Yeah. And I, I could sense that. And it was so... It was cool to sort of be invited into that culture, you know, that I previously hadn't known and to feel like, wow, we're just part of it. And um, that was really cool. And I have to say, I've seen that that race clip a lot of times, yeah. um, whether it's giving a talk or, you know, at some sort of press event. But this was the first time it made me cry Ugh. since the Olympics. It was literally the first time and I was sitting in the theater like, it's allergies. <laughs> it's dusty in here. But it was it was really emotional seeing that and being there with my team, um, like seeing our sport come to life on the big screen. And yeah. it is there is something different about seeing it, hearing it surround sound. It's, you know, it's literally larger than life. Um, <laughs> but it, it was it was emotional, I That's think. That's so cool. I know that I was sitting with a bunch of athletes at the world premiere in Portland, and not one of us had dry eyes. Well. And I still, I've seen the movie. I mean, over the course of this fall, I will have seen the movie many, many, many times. And yeah. I bet it'll trigger an emotional reaction every time. So, I mean, just congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's very exciting. So... Um, okay. So the point of this podcast is to not talk about skiing, but we went a little long talking about you as an athlete because, um, it's so cool and it's completely different than anyone else that we've had on the podcast or in the Warren Miller movie for a long time. But I want to shift gears and start talking about you as a human being, not as a superhuman best athlete in the world type person, just you as a person, you're a, a girl and I, are you ready? I am. No more yeah. skiing. We're not <laughs> no going to talk skiing. about skiing. Um, so I guess I'll just start off by, I, I know that you don't have a lot of normal days at home and I was reading on your blog, which is awesome by the way, um, you. that you kind of take April's off mm -hmm. and, um, which is cool cause I do the same in a much, much, much smaller way, but I kind of give myself April or usually it's May for me. Um, but so those times, those rare times when you are able to be home, wherever that might be, or just have an off day, like what is your favorite part about just a normal day? Like a normal average day, no training. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know. Like, it's what do you look forward to? I know you, you, you really don't more than, more yeah. than anybody I've ever talked to. Yeah. Well, um, I guess it depends on which home I'm in. So I sort of have a bunch of different homes, but my family lives in Afton, Minnesota, and that's where I grew up. Um, my parents still live in the same house. So when I'm with them, I love snuggling our dog. Aww. We've always had like bird hunting dogs. So right now we have a little, um, French Brittany and his name is Napoleon, <laughs> which is great. Um, but I just, I love, you know, just like laying on the floor, snuggling the dog, catching up with my sister. She's really into theater. So, so hearing, cool. like when I get to help her rehearse her lines is really fun. <laughs> and hearing about what she's up to. And just like, I, I love cooking too. Yeah. I really love trying to make something new or trying out a new recipe. Um, and even if it bombs, I know my family will still love me. Um, so like <laughs> cooking with my parents is just and having a family meal. Like I really love just that sort of downtime and together time, which is maybe not very exciting, but when you're on the road all the time and living out of hotels and you don't get to cook, getting the chance to like Use a kitchen and make what you want to make and have it when you want to have it and then eat it with your family is, like, so special. It is. It really is. And I, then, yeah. I look forward when I'm on the road to grocery shopping. I'm like, I just yes. want to be home for long enough to go grocery shopping. <laughs> yeah, and it sounds so boring. But I know. It's, it's actually, it's those little things like being able to do laundry whenever you want that you're like, wow, this is great. Yeah. Um, and but it's nice I'm, to be able to have time, like, with your family. And- yeah. Totally. And when I'm in Boston, which is where my boyfriend lives, um, then I'm doing stuff like going to cute little coffee shops and, you know, like I'll meet him, I'll bike into the city from where we live in Southie and then meet him for lunch when he's on his work break. And then we'll have dinner and we might go out and see a comedy show where we might dress up and go out. Or it's just those fun things that, you know, I don't do very often. Yeah. Here. Like I don't dress up and I don't go out. And so, <laughs> and so doing those, I'm like, Ooh, I feel like such a normal person. And it's, it's really fun and exciting. Yeah. I think it's important, though, for everybody to remember the special moments in what might seem mundane. Yeah, totally. Like, even if it is just, like, a great coffee at a coffee shop or the chance to make a new recipe or something like that. Yeah, it's, like, appreciating all these little moments because there's – there definitely are big moments Mm -hmm. um, for everyone that sort of – you can always look back and be like, wow, that was great. But for me, I try to always see, like, the nice little things in every day that I can appreciate and enjoy and and feel good about because you're not always going to have these huge sort of life-changing moments. Um, so, but you can always like, yeah, have a nice, like sit down with your friends or family or the person you're in love with and just like have a nice meal. And that's always something that you can enjoy. I like that. I like that. So I was also on your blog. I found an article that you actually pretty recently wrote, um, talking about, um, body image and your kind of struggles with that in the past. And I definitely recommend all the listeners to check out your blog in general because you blog a lot, which is cool. And you talk about some cool stuff, but specifically body image, like not necessarily from the perspective of a professional athlete, but from the perspective of a human being, yeah. a man, a woman, like what is something that you feel you've learned that you could share of like how do we deal with that? Because I think everyone deals with body image on some level or another. Oh, yeah. Some really severe and some really minor, but it's just such a pervasive problem in our society. 
It is. And I think so. Yeah. For the listeners, um, this blog is on jessediggins.com and it's titled body issues. If you want to read more in depth, but, um, the rundown is when I was 18, 19, I struggled with an eating disorder and I ended up going to a treatment center and getting healthy and it changed my life for the better. It was a really hard time that I would wish upon no one, but coming out the other side of it, I learned to have confidence in myself and to realize that I'm good enough the way I am. And that the parts of me that maybe I don't always love can make me really good at what I do. So like having really strong legs can make me a really good skier. But then in life, when I retire, they're going to help me when I want to go hike a mountain with my friends or when I go, you know, walk all around the city with my boyfriend, you know, like it's really good to feel strong and capable. Um, So it kind of gave me my life back. But I've realized that body image struggles are not just for teenage girls. And I Mm -hmm. think that's a really huge stigma um, that is maybe not very correct because people struggle with eating disorders on a wide scale of Mm -hmm. struggle. Like you said, some very severe, some very minor, but it hits people as young as eight and as old as like 72. Totally. And it hits men, women, all backgrounds, all, um, you know, all sorts of people can struggle with body image. And I don't think I know a single person on this planet who has every single day been like, yep, I'm perfect. Like (laughs) I love every part of myself. That's not realistic. No. And so for me, I think um, having a healthy body image isn't necessarily loving every part of yourself all the time, but it's choosing to see the good Mm -hmm. in yourself and choosing to be easy on yourself and not so harsh and to love the parts of you that make you unique and who you are. So that's, I think, yeah, that's, that's what I, I got from your your blog post. Was it about kind of adding this self forgiveness almost into the routine of like how you evaluate yourself? Yeah, and, and being okay with not being perfect. Yeah, because like, I like, used to be a perfectionist, which I think a lot of people are. I was very type A, um, and I think it's a common thing for not just athletes, but people who are very focused on something to kind of feel like it's all or nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, there it's black or white. There's no gray area. And in reality, there's a lot of gray area. And it's, um, you know, you don't have to have like exactly this one body type to be able to, or to allow yourself to feel good about yourself yeah. and to allow yourself to be happy. And, you know, your body has this natural healthy range where genetically it wants to be there. And it's and, different for different people. Yes. Nobody's going to look the same. And I think coming to terms with that and realizing that my body looks like nobody else's and that's what makes me um, beautiful and unique and successful in my sport um, and successful in life. And that's, that's a very, it's a very empowering feeling when you're able to kind of um, accept who you are and, and love that part of yourself. And so that's something I like to talk about because I think it is sort of this weird taboo thing where people don't often talk about it. And I think it can be helpful, especially to um, younger athletes who look up to me who might think, wow, like, okay, she went through this tough time in her life and came out okay, so maybe I can come out okay too. Well, and there's a lot of shame um, and yeah. why people don't talk about it. And the only way you're going to get through it is talking about it. And like we were talking about before we started recording, I also struggled with a eating disorder around the same age in my life. And it took me a long time. I didn't seek outside help for it. And so I think I elongated my healing process by a lot where if, if I had been willing to seek help, it could have been a shorter, hard time in my life. Right. And like you said, it's a very, there is, for some reason, there's the shame around it. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, 
if you had broken your leg, you'd be like, oh, I'm going to go to the doctor yeah. and I'm going to ask everyone for help and nobody is going to make me feel dumb. Like, of course I'm going to get help, obviously. Yeah. And with an eating disorder, it is a mental illness. Mm-hmm. It is. It's like depression or anxiety. Like you do, or addiction. Or, or addiction. Anything. Yeah. It's like you need some medical help um, oftentimes if it's severe enough to get through it. But a lot of times we're really ashamed or embarrassed to ask for that help. And I think that would have been helpful for me to hear that like, okay, like asking for help is brave. It's not stupid. It's not embarrassing. It's very brave. Mm -hmm. And it's the step you're taking to get your own life back. And so I think for listeners who maybe if you're struggling in some way, like it's a good thing to ask for help. And like, yeah, when I finally went, I ended up going to the Emily program, Mm -hmm. which is, um, I went to one based out of uh, Minneapolis and it was huge because they helped me realize that in the end, my eating disorder wasn't about food. It was about dealing with stress Mm -hmm. and, and trying to handle that sort of pressure I was putting on myself. And I I needed outside help to realize that and to kind of figure out like, wait a minute, what is this even about? And to learn the tools. Yeah, Exactly. So I think that that's, I mean, that's a beautiful message. Ask help, but then also embrace like your uniqueness and yeah. and be forgiving and loving towards yourself. Yeah. Embrace that's your uniqueness. Yeah. <laughs> <Just be> you. <laughs> I love that. Um, okay. I have another question that I've asked a couple of the other skiers on the podcast. If you had a totally different life, like if you were to snap to a 100% different life, what would it be? Oh, man. Like you weren't. Yeah. An Olympian. What would you do? Um, well, so when I was little, I took dance lessons for 10 years. I loved it. I loved everything about it. Like, I just, I thought that was so fun. And I always thought it'd be fun to be a dance teacher. Yeah. Like, for little kids. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I was a dancer. I actually gave up ski racing to dance. I danced ballet on toe till I was 22. So, so I totally cool. get that. Yeah, that's and awesome. I just Did love you seeing little kids like in their little outfits, just like waddling across the stage, like so excited to like? And it's so fun. Kids have like they have no um, inhibition, so their expression through their body is really cool. I think. Yeah, and they're not self conscious in any way. They're just like, I'm gonna do this, and it's so <laughs> cool. It's just it's it's very joyful. You would have to be a very patient person to be a child's dance teacher. <laughs> I yeah, and that's why I'm not sure it would actually work out, but. <laughs> But, you know, I, I would try. I love that. I love that. Do you, what um, discipline of dance did you do the most? Did you do ballet? Did you do jazz, modern? Um, so I I took classes. It was like every Wednesday night um, <laughs> until I think I was 13. And it was tap jazz and ballet. Okay, it was cool. never like um, formal ballet, like on your toes. But it was Well, you'd just be too like, young. Yeah, too young. Ballet. And it was just, it was always so fun. Yeah. And I loved it. And getting to learn a routine and doing it as a group was so satisfying. Yeah. It was just, it was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. I love that. That's really cool. So, okay. So circling back to the two highs and a low question. Can you think of two highs and a low from the last year of your life outside of your career as a professional athlete. So we can't talk about Olympics or anything like that. Just your personal life. Something happened that happened to you as a human being that like two highs and maybe one low. Yeah. Gosh. It's kind of um, hard, especially when you had such an insane year. <laughs> it's, yeah, a lot of things. I mean, some of it is connected to skiing, but trying to disconnect it. Um, I think, well, the low was that I, I have a condo in Stratton, Vermont, where I train with my ski team. Mm-hmm. Um, my club team, SMST2, and uh, my condo flooded. Oh, no. <laughs> this was actually a month before the Olympics, which is very poor timing. Yeah. And uh, somebody above me burst a pipe, and it completely demolished the whole thing. I oh, mean, we're no. talking down to the concrete slab 
like insulation out of the walls, nothing. And I was like, oh my gosh, my house, like it's gone. And it was, you know, and eventually I came around and I was like, okay, this is a chance for me to, re to reimagine the place. We get to rebuild it. But it was a really busy year. And I just, any other year, I think I maybe would have been psyched to get to like redo it. But it was like one more thing on top of all the things yeah. I was doing where I was like, man, I don't know if I have time for this. This is and the wrong time for a flood. Yeah, and you just want to come back from a long season on the road and, like, be in your place. And mm -hmm. I didn't have a place anymore. So oh, <laughs> that was the low, I would say, was, like, finding out that that was a stress that was just getting added to, mm -hmm. like, the normal stresses that come along with being a ski racer. Um, and so, yeah, that was the low. Um, one of the highs, I would say, um, weirdly, it was a high when I came out with the body issue mm -hmm. post. And did the ESPN body issue shoot and sort of use yeah. that as my platform to get this message out because it was emotional and it was scary and it was like, Oh man, am I doing the right thing? I don't know. But seeing the outreach from the community was very, very emotional and very cool because there were so many coaches who wrote in saying like, thank you. I needed to hear that because it's hard for me to understand as a male coach, what might be going through, um, the minds of the young girls that I am working with mm -hmm. or like moms reaching out or young athletes saying like, wow, thank you. You really inspired me to like ask for help or like to tell my mom and dad that I'm struggling with this. And mm -hmm. so it was heartbreaking, but it was also like such a high in the, in the way that I felt like the moment I decided to do that and come forth with it, I felt like I had more meaning than just ski racing. Yeah. Cause I felt like I was doing something, um, that I would have benefited from as a young girl. And so yes. I was able to like actually pay it forward and make it count. So that was that's, a huge high. That's a really good high. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a really good high. Um, and the other high is sort of a personal one, but um, I, I got a condo in Boston with my boyfriend. Yay. And so that was a big step. It was very fun. I just love him very much. And I got to spend more time with him. And um, that's just obviously when you find your person and you get to be with them, it makes you very happy. So it was a big high for me. Oh, congratulations. That's a good high too. <laughs> is the, how is the move-in process? Is it like seamless or like who handles like the decorating? Like, oh, we're still working on that because he's, <laughs> um, he's, he's redoing it, okay. which is really impressive to me. It's so fun. He's redoing the lighting and stuff and it's totally making the place look bigger and, and just, uh, newer. Um, but yeah, he's handled most of that because it's been a really busy year for yeah. me since the Olympics, which was really kind of him. He was like, okay, yeah. I will, I will take on. I'll handle this. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So before the podcast, I asked you to think of a story. I've asked everybody on the podcast to kind of come with the story of their life that was memorable for one reason or another outside of them being a professional athlete. Yeah. It um, can be <laughs> anything you want. Like there's been stories of childhood. There's been all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and I it's hard to kind of pick what um, I sort of like defines me the most, I guess. But um, I've always loved being outside and adventuring. And so my family has this cabin up in Thunder Bay in Canada. Mm -hmm. And it's right on Lake Superior. And so it's this little beach. And there's like this island you can go kayak around. And there's this spot to go cliff jumping into the lake, which is so fun. And I grew up um, with a lot of cousins about my age and slightly old, older. And they're all boys. 
And so I would always just be running around with them doing whatever they did. And we'd be catching tadpoles and jumping off the cliffs. And it'd be really scary because, like, one of them's almost 30 feet. Oh, wow. And But I'd be like, well, they're doing it. I'm going to do it, too. You know? <laughs> yeah. I can do it, too. And um, and so we would just do all these fun adventures and always be outside. Um, and, like, I'd swim in the lake until my lips turned blue because it was super cold. But um, one summer, one of my really good friends, uh, her name is Danielle, she came up and she and me and my little sister, Mackenzie, who's five years younger, um, we decided to like take a picnic lunch and we were going to go kayak around the island and have our picnic over there and then come back. And um, and I want to say Mackenzie was maybe like eight at the time and we were like 13. We were pretty young. And so we're, we're kayaking back and it starts getting windy and there's waves on the lake. It's a big lake. And, totally. <laughs> and we had been looking for this sunken tugboat that's out there and uh-huh. it's super cool, but kind of creepy uh-huh. because as a 13 year old, you're like, Oh, are there dead bodies down there. I don't know. Like, you know, your sure. imagination starts going. And so we're like in between the Island and the beach and we flip our canoe. No. <laughs> and we're like in the, we're, it's, we're like, far enough that it would be a really long swim yeah. to get either way. And my sister just bursts into tears. And so we like pile all the life jackets on her. And I'm like, I'm going to die like Jack from the Titanic. Like it's going to happen. Like I'm going to die. <laughs> and you know, cause like you're so dramatic as a 13 year old. And so we like try to write the canoe and it like starts sinking. It's full of water. It's full of water. Writing and a canoe so, is really hard. There's like a very specific technique. Oh yeah. And we didn't know what to of course. do. And so like the brim of the canoe is sitting at the level of the lake and we're just like, oh no. <laughs> and luckily my, my Nana, of course, was watching us from the beach and sent my dad out to get us. And so we were all fine and we got brought back and all my cousins were laughing at us because we were so dumb and we flipped the canoe. But it was just like one of those things where we were like fearless. We did so many things. We were always outside and sometimes we got ourselves in dumb situations, but we were always fine. That's awesome. Have you since learned how to ride a canoe when it's flipped? No, I haven't. I just kind of stay <laughs> close to the shore. <laughs> it's harder than you think. And I don't really know either. I just have been in other situations with flip canoes where like things go bad. You're like, oh, we're just out for a canoe. And then all of a sudden yeah. you're like, oh my gosh. You're like, well, well, I'm in the middle of Lake Superior here and it's freezing. Well, <laughs> so. I'm glad you didn't have a Jack Titanic moment. Yeah, I know. We were, we were all okay. We like literally put my sister on top of a pile of life jackets. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Oh man. Well, um, I guess we've talked through plenty of our time more time I keep saying that at the end of every episode we just keep gabbing on so um, apparently I'm not a very good timekeeper but thank you so much for making time to come on the podcast and um, again I just think that the whole Warren Miller family thanks you and the rest of the USQ team for being part of the movie because it's really cool and really special and congratulations probably for the millionth time on um, your incredible year and it was wonderful to meet you where can people keep following you where's a good place to keep in touch yeah. Um, so my website, jessediggins.com is where you can, um, read blogs and it also links my Instagram feed, but my Instagram handle is, um, Jesse Diggins. And, uh, yeah, that's probably the easiest way to keep track of what we're doing and, and see some of the team. And yeah. yeah, it was super fun to be part of Warren Miller and get to, you know, showcase our kind of fun, unique little sport. Yeah, well, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it was great talking to you. Thank you so much, Jesse, and uh, we'll we'll wait for the next time we see you. Awesome, thank you. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by Warren Miller Entertainment, who you can follow on social media at Warren Miller Ent to keep the good times rolling. 
This episode was produced by me, Amy Ingerbretson, as well as Jesse Hackett and Jessica McGee from the Warren Miller Entertainment team. Art is by Barclay Wyrock, and editing and mixing were done by Jason McDaniel. Music from APM. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe. Even better, leave me a comment or find me on Instagram at A. Ingerbretson. Shoot me a note. I would love to hear from you. I hope everyone is getting outside and getting after it in whatever way makes you happy. Thank you so much for hanging with us. You guys, listeners and guests have made my first podcast experience an absolute blast. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And we'll catch you next time on Long Underwear.